The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Engaging Truth, the manifestation of God's Word in the lives of people around us. Join us each week as we explore the impact of His message of spiritual renewal, from the lesson of forgiveness forged in the crucible of divorce, to the message of salvation learned by an executioner from a condemned killer, to the gift of freedom found in the rescue of victims of human trafficking. This is God's Truth in Action. And welcome to another edition of Engaging Truth. I'm your host, Pastor John Kane from the oldest town in Texas, Nacogdoches. We'd like to uh, welcome a special guest today. Dr. Eric Herman is professor of historical theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He's also the Dean of Theological Research and Publication, Director of the Center for Reformation Research, and Director of Concordia Theology, a publication out of Concordia, St. Louis. Welcome to the program, Dr. Herman. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. So as a person who knows history, and uh, this month we're looking at uh, Reformation history and Martin Luther a little bit and his involvement in uh, in kicking off the, the Protestant Reformation that changed Western Europe, changed the history of the Western world. Many of our listeners know Martin Luther as perhaps the monk who uh, split the Catholic Church with uh, nailing the 95 theses about indulgences to the uh, the church door, the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Um, it's obviously more complicated than just that one event. How would you characterize what Martin Luther did? Well, that's, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, it's a more complicated event. And um, it's, of course, not just Luther changing the entire world uh, 500 years ago, but he certainly is a central figure. I would say that the what Luther is up to um, at this time is um, reforming the churches. Uh, well, it's it's he's starting a movement of of reforming the church's pastoral care and reforming the church's preaching. Um, and he he does this uh, as someone that's deeply indebted to the church, someone who doesn't want to destroy it, but actually wants to. Uh, renew it. And he does this through a, a renewed articulation and appreciation of the gospel, um, that the way of speaking about the gospel for Luther was that God had reconciled the fallen world to himself through his son, Jesus. So um, I would say that the Reformation and Luther's interest in it is laser focused on this uh, way of talking about God and making sure that that is clear in preaching and pastoral care throughout the church. There is a lot of people calling for reform in Luther's day, and there's a lot of things going wrong in the church. And I think if you read the news today, you see that the church still struggles with a lot of things that it could use reform over. Um, but Luther was convinced that the, the only way really to reform the church was to bring the word of God uh, as it was articulated in the scriptures and the, and the good news of Jesus into the center of its life. And so um, almost everything he did was focused on bringing that word as, as clear as possible uh, into Christian life. So Luther touched on a lot of different areas. He touched on uh, public education, 
uh, changes in society, changes in church life. What what do you think that Luther himself would have regarded as his most important effort? Well, what Luther, you're right, Luther uh, impacted a lot of different areas, some that were intentional, um, some that uh, were incidental or unintentional. He didn't know that uh, the world would be changed in the way that it was. Um, but I think Luther's, with Luther's goal as trying to bring the word of God to as many people as possible, I would, uh, I would suggest that probably for Luther, the most important achievement was his translation uh, of the Bible into the common language of the people and, and his people in those days in, in German. Um, so it's, uh, it's, I think, pretty well known that Luther's one of his great achievements was doing this, was being able to take a, a Bible that had been largely read in Latin throughout the Middle Ages, even after Latin had stopped being kind of a common language, and, um, and made not only a translation of, of German, but a remarkable translation of German, one that helped change the German language, which, one that influenced other translations. Um, he worked on that uh, already really early on, 1519, you know, a couple of years after uh, the 95 Theses and things started getting really hot. He, um, he already had intended to start writing that and things kept getting interrupted until finally when he was uh, whisked away in 1521 to the, to the Wartburg Castle to keep him from being executed uh, when he was an outlaw, uh, he had some time on his hands uh, to sit down and do some work. And, um, and evidently within 11 weeks, he translated the entire New Testament uh, into German. Um, and that was published in 1522. So we're, we're actually, next year will be the 500th anniversary of that, of that German New Testament. And um, such a remarkable, just on a literary level, literary achievement where he was able to, um, I guess, capture the way in which German people spoke about things, uh, used the colloquial language. He spent a lot of time trying to figure out the best way to communicate what he said. These stubborn Hebrew prophets didn't want to speak in German. And so he had to work hard to try to make them speak in authentic uh, uh, German and um, in doing that, it was a, it was a roaring success. Um, and then and then he continued to work on that uh, with with his colleagues and published the entire the entire scriptures in the 1530s, um, which went through uh, which influenced, like I said, uh, all the translations. Um, yeah, so his goal was to get it uh, used by preachers, but also to get people to start reading it in their homes and hearing it in their own words so that the Word of God would uh, take root and change their lives. So, Eric, it seems like, uh, in, in hindsight, it seems like uh, Luther, with so many of these events, it was almost as if he was lining up dominoes, and when one fell, they all fell. Uh, looking at his translation of the Bible, which was it predated the King James Version by the better part of a century. Um, what was it that Luther had to do to organize and to consolidate the German language? And, and why did it have such an impact on so many others? Well, the Luther's German uh, Bible had uh, an impact not just on the life of the church, but actually on the 
on the literary and linguistic culture of Germany. Uh, it, it unified uh, the language and helped standardize it. Uh, to this day, if you go to Germany, you can hear there's a lot of different dialects. I know in America we have dialects, Southern and uh, Northern, and uh, uh, but uh, in Germany, it's actually quite diverse. And there was, Luther was living on the cusp of the printing press. So uh, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for the, the language to be standardized. And so um, Luther's translation, and Luther did this in a remarkable way. He actually spent quite a bit of time in the marketplace, listening uh, to how people commonly expressed themselves and tried as best as he could um, to translate uh, the, the New Testament and the, the language of the prophets and the language of the evangelists into authentic common German speech. Uh, and it was such a successful endeavor that, um, that it actually helped unify the German language. It became the new standard. It helped shape modern uh, German language. Uh, so, I mean, apart from what it had done for the church, it, it was um, considered one of the great literary achievements of Western hi history and one of the most in influential works that shaped modern, modern German thought. Um, but that also extends to, uh, to the English Bible. Uh, so many of the early English translations were uh, deeply indebted to Luther. William Tyndale, one of the first translators of the Bible into English in the 16th century, studied his translation carefully. He took Luther's approach to the text, and he often translated verbatim uh, Luther's own uh, introductions, his own prefaces of the Bible. And that became uh, the precursor to the King James Version, which, of course, is the most famous one. But all English uh, translations uh, that are in that tradition uh, are really get their uh, get their orientation and are indebted to Luther's first work. So describe what it was like before Luther's translation in terms of uh, reading the Bible. Before Luther translated the Bible, it wasn't the only German translation or only Bible in the vernacular, but it certainly wasn't the one that the church sanctioned or used. Um, the Bible was... Uh, was uh, used in Latin, and it was used largely in uh, church services. Uh, so uh, the service was in Latin, and uh, it was used really for academics. It was not, um, it was not uh, encouraged for people to read it because the, the assumption was that they would misunderstand it anyway. Um, it was a text that was used by clergy and monks almost exclusively. Now, Luther was a monk, uh, and he spent his days as a monk uh, reading and praying the scriptures. And though he uh, eventually left the monastery because there was uh, also difficulties in being a monk, one of the benefits of it that, uh, that he never forgot uh, or got rid of was the importance of daily reading the Bible and praying the scriptures. And so... Um, he saw that as the, the catalyst for reform. To, if we can bring that word uh, into people's language and into their daily use, um, the church will be changed. Uh, people will hold on to Christ more clearly. Um, and so uh, now one of the difficulties, of course, is that people are uh, a large percentage of the population at that time is still illiterate. And so you can't just translate the Bible. You've got to actually also... Um, help them understand how to read it, and you've got to start schools so that they can learn to read, 
And all of those things, like you said, like dominoes lead from one thing to another to create this kind of enormous educational Bible reading movement, really, uh, that uh, continues to this day. So you mentioned reading. You also mentioned praying the scriptures. Could you give us a brief uh, description of that? Oh, that might be that might sound weird, I suppose, praying the scriptures. Um, but especially there are some books, you know, the Bible isn't a, a, a monolithic set of uh, texts. There's a lot of different styles and genres of literature in the Bible, whether it's letters or gospels or narrative history accounts. But there's also poetry and prayers. And uh, the Psalms were a um, were our collection of prayers that the church had been using for a long time. And Luther used them uh, extensively as a monk. But he wanted to, one of the first things he translated, even before he translated the New Testament in its fullness, was to translate uh, portions of the Psalms in German for people, just to help teach them, uh, teach them how to pray. Um, remember, I said that the reform for Luther was a, was a reform of pastoral care and a reform of preaching. And especially the pastoral care side, if you can give people prayers um, that uh, help them think about God rightly, about themselves rightly, to know when to flee for mercy in times of need, um, that's going to be an enormous uh, effort in, in reforming pastoral care. Uh, and so he did. He wrote, he wrote an, a beautiful preface to his translation of the Psalms, encouraging people to read it as um, not just the lives of the saints, but as the prayers of the saints, uh, and that it would connect them not only to Christ, but to one another, because they'd be praying the prayers that all of God's people have been praying for centuries. You know, Martin Luther wore a lot of hats. In addition to being a monk and a translator, he was uh, the administrative head over a number of uh, Roman Catholic chapter houses. He was uh, a professor like yourself, uh, but he was also a local pastor in Wittenberg, Germany. And I've, I've mused about the fact, I've wondered about the fact, if the Reformation would not have happened at all, if Luther hadn't been a pastor and concerned about the very soul of the people under his keeping. What do you think about that? I think that is a central aspect for the Reformation, that it is animated by pastoral concerns. Um, I think sometimes people think fights over theology are just, um, oh, just by theoretical academics. And we certainly have those fights throughout history, things that seem to be more in-house uh, conflicts. Um, but Luther, uh, as, as a great as a theologian he was, and as a deep insight into theology, as an academic as he was, um, really saw that the whole purpose of it, the whole reason for doing it was not to make some great trenchant point in a debate in a classroom, but finally um, to console someone on their deathbed who's afraid, afraid that maybe their past transgressions, their brokenness of their life um, will follow them all the way through the grave that God would have abandoned them. And um, if, if you understand the scriptures clearly, if you, uh, if you do theology rightly, it really is aimed at comforting people who are afraid, people who feel like they, um, that God is, is, is absent from their life. And it's uh, oriented again towards promising to them that, that God is present, that he's there for them, and that nowhere clearly can you see him than in the suffering of his son. 
Martin Luther uh, had a very well-known progression as he uh, got deeper and deeper into the Bible. And uh, I'd say his own fears were uh, put away by the, the good news of the gospel, the sweetness of the gospel that Jesus has earned our complete salvation for us. And that was so important to me that he, or it was so important to him that he wanted to share it uh, with, with everyone. What would you say to, to people right now asking if we could use a little reformation? Hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, uh, Luther, first of all, as you noted, saw um, this message as something that was first applicable to him. Um, and, uh, you know, we right now we're living in a, as, as they say in the news again and again, uncertain times, right? I mean, he's had sort of an interesting 18 months and people are filled with anxiety and uncertainty and um, illness and death looms large in our horizon. In fact, it seems to fill all of our news feeds. And um, how do you break out of that cycle? How do you live with a certain sense of purpose and hope uh, when the horizon seems so bleak? And um, for, for Luther, uh, that's not unusual. It's not unusual that on the one hand, the word seems to promise God's uh, presence and his goodness and his care for his people. And on the other hand, what we seem to experience is the opposite and what uh, the, the silence of God. So the answer, of course, is to, is to, is to let the word be louder, um, to be clearer, uh, to be a place where people uh, actually uh, believe those words more than the news cycles that they hear that the grayness and the bleakness uh, of our world is just not true, that because Jesus rose again from the dead, our world does have a future, and it's one in which God is in charge. Our pastor in Washington, D.C. talks about, uh, Greg Seltz talks about the uh, secularization of hope, and I think that's what you're talking about with the news mm. feeds that are, are pushing fear and confusion, and uh, what, what God offers us through um, through the very Bible that Luther translated and so many others have now translated into English, uh, we've got a, uh, a something that's a little countercultural. We, we have hope that's from out of this world. So uh, do you have uh, some, some resource places on the web that you might point our listeners to? Uh, sure. I think uh, I can kind of point to our, our own website, first of all, concordiatheology.org. It's where a lot of uh, my colleagues uh, try to provide resources, whether it's Bible studies or, or um, uh, guides for reading the scriptures or various blog thoughts on, uh, on how, the, on how the, uh, the gospel intersects with our culture. A variety of resources in our own church body that try to make that clear, um, our LCMS, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, also has an enormous set of resources that are, again, sort of laser-focused uh, on this, not trying to answer every question, um, but trying to make clear uh, precisely the hope um, that uh, all of humanity has if they attend to what God has done in His Son. We're good. Let me take a moment to uh, 
uh, point our listeners to our own uh, radio programs website, elmhouston.org. And there at that elmhouston.org website, you can find links to our Facebook and Twitter and YouTube accounts. You can find information about us. You can get our mailing address and there's ways for you to support our work online. All of our online on the air hosts are volunteers. And so uh, we can assure you that your uh, uh, tax deductible donations to us are uh, gonna go far. Our uh, uh, monies that we receive go towards purchasing airtime on uh, the radio station. And so uh, that helps us to share with you the, the messages of the gospel of Jesus Christ often lived out in very interesting ways through our guests. So again, we'd point you to that website, elmhouston.org. And as a, an aside, we're talking about uh, uh, Martin Luther, Wittenberg, Germany, and so many of the other uh, Reformation sites this month. My wife, Kathy, and I will be going back to Wittenberg on a tour uh, next June, June of 2022. And if you'd like information on going with us on that tour, going back to Wittenberg, uh, please just uh, contact me through the website, elmhouston.org. Now back to our guest, Eric. It's good to talk about Martin Luther because he he faced a, a serious, serious pandemic with uh, the bubonic plague. Um far greater than what we're experiencing with COVID. And so death was just such a reality uh, in, in the lives of, of all of his people. And he um, pointed people's eyes to this, uh, the one source of hope uh, that is through Jesus. Can you give our listeners who, uh, who are probably uh, searching for hope, hungry for hope, can you give us uh, some words of encouragement? Well, uh, I think uh, Luther would agree with this particular point. There's a passage in the book of Ecclesiastes that said God put eternity in man's heart, and yet he's uh, always striving uh, to see that realized and uh, doesn't recognize the goodness of what God has placed in his life right now. And um, Luther living in a time, like you said, uh, where there's a, a enormous upheaval, uh, plague, there's, uh, there's a big peasant's revolt. So they, all of society is being turned on it, on its head. Um, and, uh, and Luther could still say, if you just look at things, if you just, with the eyes of faith, look at the world, God is in charge of much more, uh, than the devil. Um, in other words, um, from moment to moment, from day to day, the world exhibits actually the goodness and care of God, and we are just sort of blind and deaf to it uh, because we're so turned in on ourselves um, and so anxious uh, about a future that's actually firmly held in God's hand. Um, so I think the word of encouragement is that knowing that God uh, has carved out his future for us and that it's a, it's a good and generous one because of the resurrection of his son, um, that we actually can receive good things now, that we can actually uh, look at our lives and be grateful for them as, as they are, uh, rather than wringing our hands. Uh, I think we, the uncertainty and anxiety that we have is uh, trying to make our own way forward rather than uh, being receivers. As Luther said, we are all beggars at the end of the day. Uh, and that's actually good news uh, because 
our benefactor is our generous God. We've been talking with uh, Professor Eric Herman. Eric, I wanted to thank you for spending some time with us and our listeners today and drawing some of these lines of correlation and uh, common experience between Luther's time and the Reformation and what our listeners are maybe going through right now. There's a lot of encouragement to be had in God's Word, and that encouragement is for each of us to know that Jesus has fully paid for your sins for everyone who has Jesus as their Savior. Again, Pastor Herman, thank you for your time. And to our listeners, join us again real soon for another edition of Engaging Truth. Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410. Or visit our website at elmhouston.org or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.